What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, you know what? It's a new month. Is it? Yeah, it is. And I'm thinking to myself that we should probably have something like a month called Support Our Supporters. Support Our Supporters? Support Our Supporters. We've got some people who support our show. Yeah. And I want to show them some love. Okay. Yeah. So we've got someone who is regularly supporting our show, who's the industry buffet himself, Jason mm-hmm. Furman mm-hmm. from Einswick Dog Quip. Einswick Dog Quip. Einswick. Yeah. I know you're a fan of Jason's equipment. You know what? Sometimes I get these ideas in my head. Mm-hmm. Let's go I'm with it. Like, Jason, with it. I've got this idea for a tug and I want it to be this big and this round and made of leather. Yep. You got one? He goes, no, that doesn't exist, you idiot, but I can get it made. I go, do it, sir. He's pretty good like that, the old buffet, isn't he? Yeah. We should get Teespring. The buffet. The- <laughs> Teespring merch made up. <laughs> Support the buffet. Support the buff. Yeah. But we've got people in other parts of the world that are Yeah, you know who's show? not a buffet? Tell me. Maclepoint. Maclepoint is French for Mark. For not a buffet. Yeah, for not a buffet. And he is from? Canine Dynamics. Canine Dynamics. In Canada. Yep. Please don't slow this one down. <laughs> <laughs> so if I were in North America, that's where I'd be getting my, yeah. my working dog equipment from. He's got a great array of gear as well. It does. Yeah. Yep. And he's a very generous guy. Yeah. Mm. You know who else is a supporter of the show? That would have to be Kindred Canine. Mm. Mel Benware. Our good friend Mel Benware. She has got to be one of the best travel to your home, train the dog in your home dog trainers. Absolutely. In the area that she's in, which Richmond, is- Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> Or Ashland, Virginia. She comes from Ashland, Virginia, but she services all the area around there. She's been a great support for the show and also a great support for the International Association of Canine Professionals. That's right. We are proud members of as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're in Australia and you need dog equipment, Mm -hmm. Jason Furman. Einswick Dog Dog Quip. Einswick Dog Quip. Einswick. If you're in North America, you need working dog equipment, Mark LaPointe. (laughs) (laughs) Canine Dynamics. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and if you're in Ashland, Virginia, yep. or Richmond, Virginia. Yep. In that general area. Yep. And you need pet dog training. Melanie Benway. Melanie Benway. Kindred canine. Kindred canine. Yep. That's it. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And also today, this has got to be the 50th, maybe 100th time, <laughs> Bertie O'Sheedy. Hello, lovely folks. How oh, are you? It's like a little family day, isn't it, when we got Bertie back? I'm always excited coming down here. And then I always feel really tempted to go like, oh my God, I have a great day ahead. And then I know I can't post it. So I don't, you know, when you reveal the episode, I don't. You can, post it. It. you can just you can post to people that you're coming down here to record or something like that. You don't have to tell them what the content is. They can they oh, can good be surprised. to know because I was in the car and I'm like, oh my god, today's amazing. I get to hang out with my friends and then yeah. I'm like, oh, maybe Should not. Yeah, 
Yeah, you can post it when you leave. You can take a picture and say, hey, I was down at the studio. We yeah, talked I about re- whether I should post this or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I already laughed so much today. It's pretty funny. That's um, it for the Should You Post It podcast. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I also don't think that people know that we always have a warm-up without intending to have a warm-up, but we laugh a lot while ha- we have our coffees. Yeah. It's really fun. You know, we get feedback on that that, I see it in other podcasts as well, but I see people complaining about us saying that when you have really familiar guests on, it's like a weird conversation because there's too many in-jokes and that. And so, yeah, fuck you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, thanks for having me. It's always fun being here. Thanks for coming. So what are we talking about? You've got something going on. I do. I'm coming out of my little hidey hole in the mountains. Mm-hmm. I'm dipping my toes back into work. Okay. Isn't that great that you found your energy again? I saw your post the other day where you talked about comparatively last year, how Mm. you were so lacking energy spiritually and physically and being up in the mountains, you've reinvented yourself. Like you found yourself a little bit more or a lot more and you're blossoming quite a lot. Like I think you're in your best place that I've seen you since I've known you. It's worth pointing out because you've kind of, we don't have to go into any detail on it, but you've kind of mentioned here and there that you did have and still do have like quite severe chronic illness. And so it wasn't like it was like, I'm um, mm. just burn out a little bit and going up to live in the mountains. Like you were very, very unwell. I was really unwell. And I'm happy to talk a little bit about it because the irony of my life is that, I don't know if I teach, but I show people how I manage situations by fucking my own life up and then I share my lessons and I think that's what I'm doing again because now my main focus is on self-care and I had to learn a ton because it nothing worked that I used to know and it's really interesting because I knew a lot Mm -hmm. like I compared to an average person my knowledge about self-care is probably higher Mm -hmm. just simply because I'm a trained clinical psychologist but Yeah, you're right. Like I was really teary when I put that post up yesterday because Mm. about a year ago I thought I had to go on disability pension and not work. And, you know, like I couldn't go grocery shopping. I couldn't leave my house. I had to say no to my kids to see them for coffee or lunch because I couldn't cope. I was so exhausted and tired. And I didn't understand why I was so exhausted and tired because I'm like, it doesn't make sense. I'm not depressed. I do have – I have – pain and and I got diagnosed with a couple of things, but they were all diagnoses that are given when they don't know what's wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, they really, they give you diagnosis so you have access to the medical system, but at the end it's a very foggy kind of way of explaining things. You should, they know something's going on. They, they don't, I wasn't minimized in how I felt and having so little energy and having quite a lot of pain, but they couldn't pinpoint it. And I'm, I was in a, and still am in a really privileged area where I, I had access to medical testing. Like I spent thousands and thousands of dollars to finding out what was wrong with me. Mm. And I'm really glad that they didn't find anything, but at the same time I couldn't get a, an answer, a conclusion. Yeah. that That is a funny thing like that, right? Like when you finally get the, the diagnosis and even when it's terrible, sometimes you can be like, oh, at least now I know. That was relief. relief that's actually what, yeah, that's actually what happened to me when I fractured my back. Mm. I, I was kicking around with a fractured back and bulged these for four months, not actually knowing what was going wow. on and had kind of like, it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And I thought I had sort of sciatic pain and tight muscles and blah, 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 blah. And then finally, when I had a guy look at a scan and go like, oh, this scan's terrible. Like the scan that everyone was looking at, he goes, this is such low quality. I got another one. He goes, oh, dude, your back's fractured. <laughs> <laughs> it's so this huge thing. But I was like, oh, thank fuck. Like, because I haven't 
I've been doing everything everybody says and none of it's working. And to, even though it was a really bad diagnosis, it was a, a diagnosis. It's an answer. It's finally yeah. an answer. And yeah. And I was craving that so badly and I felt like an imposter. Like I felt like maybe you're just a vimp, you know, maybe, maybe you're just not toughening up and then you go through your life and you look at things. And in the end, life forced me to go like, if I don't radically change my life, I'm not sure what I'm going to do mm. because I'm going to be facing bed rest for a long time. Like at that stage I worked and that's the irony of it all. Like I had so much control over my life then already, like I already had my own business. I loved the people I worked with. I loved the clinic setup. I, I set my own hours. Like I already could do so much. I was already in a really privileged position where I could take control and it still didn't work. Mm. And that scared me because the advice I would give to other people, how they would get their energy back didn't work. Mm. And that, I found that so scary and I was really, I can't thank my family enough because they're like, okay, what do you want? What do you need? And I'm like, the only thing I can come up with is I need to reduce pressure in my life and I just need to totally fall apart. I need to go into nature. I need to reduce my financial commitment and I just need to go back to the roots because I don't know nothing else works right now and I just need to be and just figure it out because I don't have a plan. So my plan right now is just that we leave Sydney and we go into the mountains. And because there was a lot of overwhelm, like I had so much sensory overload the whole time. And I'm not saying that my path is everyone's path. That was just my path. I can't tell you how much or how grateful I am that my husband Dan stood by my side and he's like, okay, we're going to do that. And for him, that was a massive, massive like he had to give up a lot. Like at that time, that was before Corona. He would have commuted four hours a day just to make that work for me. And and he would have given up promotions and things like that because all of a sudden we live in middle of nowhere. Mm. So, I, you know, there was a lot of support and love that's just out of desperation, essentially. His name just kind of gets dropped a little bit every time you hear you sort of just mention Dan, but we don't really go into like what a rock he is. Right? He is amazing. Dan is the most amazing thing that has ever entered my life. And People don't know that a lot of things that I do is because I have his support. Mm -hmm. So he's in the background. He listens to my ideas. You know, he supports me and and he lets me explore things. But he essentially is my backbone that always picks up when I drop something because I do drop things. <laughs> yeah. Something I've noticed about Dan, the way he talks is when he'll ask questions of you and when you're giving your answer, he's always like really supportive in the answer, but then manages to ask a question at the end that like can radically change the way you think about what you were just saying. So he's very subtle and he's, I mean, you've trained him well. Or that's who he is. He's, he's very good at sort of letting you play out your train of thought and then going like, yeah, that's interesting. Here's a question that yeah. radically alters everything you just said. And you're going to have to sit on that and digest it for a little while. And it's very non-invasive. It's not like he just cuts you to pieces and goes, that's a stupid idea. You fucking idiot. Like I would. <laughs> <laughs> he is so like Dan is the type of person that is so curious and he has the, the it's hilarious because we had to learn to communicate a lot because he has a lot of energy like Dan is a very energetic person naturally and I'm the opposite and so we have to talk a lot but the one thing that we always can do is challenge our perspective on life and he's very open-minded and he does it in a really gentle but honest and truthful way like he doesn't let you get away with shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I can't say enough thank you to Dan and a lot of people, they see my really bubbly side, my really loving side, but they don't see that that takes a toll on me, essentially. Like, I I have to go back and recover from that, and he's the one who faces that. Like, he probably doesn't get that side all the time. So mm. he's 
Very strong. It's an extremely strong person. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you're the partner of a public person is that you get the run downside of the person who's out in the public putting the show on and when they come home it's like, oh, yeah. now I need somewhere to crash and they often see the person who wants to spiral down a little bit. Yeah, and it's to me it's just amazingness that he's – he, he, if you said to him, what's your value in life? And he's like, we are a team. She's good in the public side and I'm really good at letting the back, as a, do everything in the background. Mm-hmm. Like when I come home, he will make me dinner because he knows I'm tired and I don't even have to ask for that. Like he already knows and he's so generous. He's, and he's a project management, so he always thinks ahead. <laughs> so, mm. so yeah, I'm very And he grateful. makes a bitch and brisket. Yeah, he's a fucking good oh, barbecue master. Oh, his brisket is just <laughs> on point. Yeah. yeah, he loves it. Like we can do ribs great, but I Your mean, we just, we're good at ribs. We're really good at doing ribs, but we just screw up briskets. Like no one's business. Like it's just embarrassing. <laughs> it's and not. Then when I, I come had your to, brisket. Oh, no, it's not that good. And when I come up to your place and have Dan's brisket, it's like, oh, it's just mouthwatering. Yeah, but he puts puts easily 80 hours of work. I know, I know he does. And, it, and you can tell, like you can tell the amount of love that goes into that brisket. Like it's probably one of the best briskets that I've ever had. Thank so you. this is what people will be saying. See, this is what I'm talking about. Too familiar, guys. Yeah, You're talking yeah, yeah. about brisket. <laughs> All right, back to the topic. Hey, I get it. Before we, before we continue. <laughs> i got more to say about the brisket. <laughs> no, no, no. No more brisket. I just wanted to, have you seen the movie The Green Mile with Tom Hanks? I've watched it, yes. Mm. It's beautiful. A yeah, very I, deep movie. It is. It's one of the best movies. It's in my top 10 for sure. It's a great movie. But I often think about, you know, people like yourself when you're constantly bombarded by toxin and venom that's happening in other people's lives. Like they're not being toxic and venomous to you. They're just talking about it and it's oozing out, like it's coming out. And I often think of John Coffey in The Green Mile when mm. he's drawing the pain and suffering and out of other people and when he particularly does it to Bill, the character's name is Bill, when he grabs him and sucks it all out of him and holds it in and it makes him so sick and you can just see him suffering and he's in pain. And I often think of mental health care workers when they're doing that long term, you know, like they're drawing that out of people and pulling it into themselves because, you know, you're kind of like a conduit ripping that energy out of other people. I'm, I'm not trying to sound ethereal or anything like that. I know that science fiction, what that is. and But I think it depicts what people endure and what happens to their you know, like it, it kind of twists you and, and it warps your soul a little bit and it can actually have a manifestation on you and make you quite ill if you don't do something therapeutic about it yourself. You're hitting it on the head. And my problem was that there are a couple of things that played into it. A, I specialized in really complex presentations. For example, the people that I referred on to after me, they all said, we don't want to have your clients. They're too complex. We don't want to expose ourselves to this. So I'm like, okay, so something in me is already prepared to f- be exposed to that mm-hmm. and I find it really interesting. You know, that's something that you should look at. And then the other thing is also within being a therapist, there's so many ways. For example, for me, it's really easy to know how people feel and to be warmth to them. But that means I have to then maybe be harder in my self-care than some person that maybe doesn't feel so much, right? So I had to really honor who I am and look at that and not how university tells me I should be. I tried really hard to follow in that pattern and go like, this is how you should be as a therapist. And I tried so, so hard. But at the end of the day, I still came out depleted at the end of it, right? So I had to kind of walk away and go like, that framework doesn't suit me right now. So I have to find my own path. And that's what what I've learned and I'm going to share it with you in a second. But if you feel a lot, like if you're very empathic, 
and you have this intuition in you, you need to have a lot more downtime than the average person just so that you know who you are and what's yours and what's theirs. Mm. I'm not trying to draw a line of comparison, but there are people in the dog training community who are exposed to a lot of negativity, especially people in the pet industry, because they're constantly going around and seeing the frustration. And they do get to share in the jubilation when they turn things around and they fix things. But at the start, there's a lot of frustration with people and it's constant bombardment. You know, and I mean, that's why people need to have a break from this industry as well and go into self-care and speak to somebody like you. You know, they actually need to download all the negativity that's coming in their own life. In the time that I've been in it and seen how many backs it's broken in this industry, you know, how crushed it can make people if they don't exercise self-care. You know, like they do have to have an interest outside of the training. They do have to have an interest away from just constantly working and being exposed to that all the time. Because if they don't, you can see that it changes who they are. Like they lose their love and their desire for wanting to help people and being involved in dogs. And you can see it came very much an art form and a passion for them into just, you know, this is just a job. And it's sad when you see that because mm. you've, it's a person that's been taken from a realm of something that they really, and I'm speaking from experience here, like it's happened to me. I've gone in and out of this phase several times, but when I see it happen to other people, I do have empathy for them because I can feel it myself. I, can, I know what they're going through and I can see you used to love this, but now it's changed you and it's warping you and you can see like it's just crushing the life out of them. But when they do have time to wind down, speak to people, download, you can see them come back and they bounce back with their their enthusiasm. And it's nice to see. But people need to be aware of some of the hallmark signs that this is or how this is happening. I know we've talked about this in an early episode of taking care of yourself and, you know. Yeah. And I'm trying to offer you something different a little bit today. Mm. So I'm trying to go outside of the regular advice and um, I want to start at the root of it all. Sure. And I think that was for me a big realization because I'm like, with so much knowledge, how do I still stuff it up? Like why, like I'm a very driven person and I really wanted to work. I like working and it pissed me off beyond that I couldn't make it work, that I was so drained. And one realization that I had was that the societal pressure to be a certain way and how success is measured or how you should perform is crucial. This is, you know, this is how we are shaped. This is how we are conditioned. And I was reading quite a lot when I had my hiatus and still am in my hiatus, but I'm just coming a little bit back. But what I realized is this, Dr. Bill Plotkin, he wrote a book about the human soul and, and its involvement essentially and it's the journey in life. And he distinguishes an egocentric society versus an eco-soul centric society so you're talking about a society that is driven by ego and then we're talking the ideal part would be a society driven by and you know nature and your soul kind of like the holistic healthy kind of way so for him i can tell you what the characteristics are for him he would define an egocentric society as materialistic anthropocentric so human centric competition based class stratified violence prone and unsustainable and from a schema therapy point of view that would be when we kind of overcommit, we overnumb ourselves we kind of self-soothe because we're so overworked that we actually can't feel anything anymore because we're constantly trying to tick the boxes and perform mm-hmm. so that that's my interpretation of an egocentric society and the eco-soul-centric society is a acknowledging you have a soul 
and that is your life mission to find out what your soul needs. And that might be very different from everyone. And that the other parts are that you're imaginative, that you're ecocentric, that you actually know how to function in this day and world, also with nature, because you need nature. At the end of the day, we are a very complex plant and you need the outside world to be okay because you are in a symbiotic relationship with this essentially. And then there's cooperation-based. You need to be just, compassionate, and sustainable, essentially. Sorry, Pat has his eyes and he wants to interrupt me and ask something or say something. <laughs> no, I want to – you did this the other day during the, the webinar that I was on. Just kind of define a soul a bit because I think yeah, sure. like several years ago you would have just lost me because I'm not traditionally religious. And so I think that a lot of people sort of associate that word with sort of, you know, the biblical gods. That's cool if you do, but there's another way to think about that. Yes. So despite me being a hippie and looking like a hippie, I'm not thinking of the soul as a hippie concept. And it's also for me, you'd make it whatever concept you want to be. You need to maybe look at it, what it is. But to me, the soul is your essence. It's what makes you you. Like we know when a dog has been put down and when it's alive and when its life has been gone. We mm. know when something's alive and when it's dead. And if you would look at a definition, the soul is compromises the mental abilities of a living being. That is reason, character, feeling, consciousness, memory, qualia. Qualia is that sort of ability that only you have. Like when you have two, when you have a twin pair, you still know who is who just by who they are. That sort of special characteristic. Mm. The perception thinking and there are various diff different philosophical systems or religious beliefs around it. And that's not my part that I want to go into because that's up to you to decide what you want. I'm just saying you are more than – you're this beautiful packaging of all these abilities that makes you you and that is your soul. But that's also the challenge in life is to honor that and to find out what makes you you mm -hmm. and what is your essence. So to continue on from here and understand the content you're going to put forward, you have to first accept that you have a soul and that doesn't have to be an immortal consciousness that goes forever. It can just be like the real essence of who you are. It's your immaterial essence. Yeah. It's it's like more than your body. Yeah. It's everything that the compound effect of what makes you you. But if you are curious, it, you do have an immortal soul and it's a cycle that just goes around and around and around and you just get several <laughs> takes of it and you just experience the world from different perceptions. But, you know, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> carry on. <laughs> but, but that's, to me, what I do want to say is that the pathway that society wants to put you on and what maybe is the pathway that your soul should, soul should take is very different because society at the moment is very about ticking boxes, having an income a certain way. Um, and that's all needed. Like I have no problem with money, but that's, for example, why I have this concept, what I call the Pachamama Glow Up. And Pachamama Glow Up stands for, hey, you can secure a spot at my webinar if you do something good for your community if you do something good for Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. And that's because when we look at the types of rest, there are seven types of rest, the one activity that nails all those components, what rest is, is being outside in nature. So if you're regularly in nature, you take all the needs that your body and your soul and your spirit needs. Okay. So if that's the easiest way to do it. And because it gives you this moment of stillness that you can reflect and you can be inspired and you have this creativity and you just can slow down. Mm -hmm. And people struggle really hard these days to not do anything and be outside. Like most of the time when I ask people, when was the last time you went for a bushwalk or when you went camping? They don't know. So 
there is something there that we have to acknowledge. We are part of the outside world. We just that's changed that. a lot more lately. Like I think in the last twenty years, that's that's, that's significantly changed. Like if you ask people that twenty years ago, especially in Australia, that would be a more regulated answer. There were people doing yeah. that. There was more a sense of community. People would go camping. People would spend more time outdoors doing things as families or as communities, you know, playing cricket in the street with each other. That was normal. It's not normal now. We don't see that that same reflection. Like we've changed and the ethos of who we are, especially as Australians. I can't talk for America because I don't know. I can't talk for other communities that are listening to our podcast. But for the Australian community, it's changed. It is in Australia has changed too because, for example, when I was a kid, there were always activities available that you could do outside, like play soccer, play beach volleyball, go cycling or whatever. But people volunteered their time to run these clubs, right? Like mm. someone said, I don't need a financial outcome or I'm having enough energy in my own life that I actually can give something to the community. So therefore we had these activities, but then something happened and things just seemed to ramp up that we've maybe lost it a little bit. And that's why with the Pachamama Glow Up, the thing is you can collect a kilo of trash somewhere and you show me the picture and then you can have access to it because due to COVID, money is tied for a lot of people. We need money, you know, but I think we should also learn to emphasize other things, not just status and money. But anyway. Define, people will be asking, what's the Pachamama? So Pachamama is to me, it's a concept from the Andes in South America and it's basically Mother Earth. Okay. And the reason why I bring that in and why I make such a stance on it is I'm a person who has significant trauma in her life and I've been through many therapy sessions and I know many, many models of therapy but in the end, the one thing that you can always rely on is go for a walk or go outside. It's the quickest way to reset yourself, to ground yourself, to get inspired. And I think I would like to just give her a nod and go like, we are actually having this amazing resource that we very often not tap into and very often just selfishly take. But there is a really loving source out there. And you just, you don't need to do much. Walking your dog is going outside, interacting with Pachamama. And I do think that's why we love dogs because they do get us outside a lot. Mm -hmm. So I know it sounds a bit airy-fairy, but I just want to give you an idea how doing very simple things you can actually do really good for yourself because you need to have moments of stillness and silence in your life to be able to listen to that wisdom that you have already acquired in your life mm -hmm. or that you let things settle or that you have the ability to take a step back. So because a lot of the time people go like, oh, but you're meditating, buddy. I'm like, yeah, I am, but you wouldn't need to meditate as regularly with me like I do. You can also just go for a walk. It would help too. Mm. If I have lost you as a listener, I'm not sorry. <laughs> 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 but coming back to, to what I wanted to say is I did not know before that you had needed seven types of rest to be actually okay in life. Yeah, I don't know about that. What do you mean? What types of rest do you think you need? You tell me. You're the teacher. The teacher. Well, what types of rest have you practiced so far? Uh, I don't even know how to define that. Okay. I know Pat has physical rest. I know you have your yeah. workout, so you probably have physical rest. Yeah. You need mental rest. Yes, you definitely need mental rest. What? How would you define mental rest? Not overthinking situations, like being able to quieten your mind down, finding something where you can change what you're thinking about into – well, change the, I guess, the flow of where your mind is going at the time. And again, you know, like this is why I took up guitaring is because I can shut down and I can not think about 
you know, I use the escape of getting on my bike to not think about what's happening around me and be so consumed and overwhelmed because all I think about when I'm on my bike is me and the road, you know, like I'm, I'm synchronizing with watching the road and, and, and you're you know, outside. I'm outside and I'm doing something that's, I'm not thinking about work or I'm not thinking about, you know, the, the next thing that's happening at work or, you know, who's doing what at work and so forth. That goes, it completely shuts down. When I'm playing guitar, I'm so overwhelmed with, you know, where my fingers are on frets. I'm not thinking about anything else. Yeah. And it quietens down everything. So for me, it is like a, a form of meditation. That's it. And yeah. I think what we, what, what I just want to throw in is society and I have really misunderstood that I very often thought rest was numbing and pausing life for me. Like mm -hmm. we, society is really addicted to things that we just don't have to think. We're so numb and detached that we don't have to feel. But that's not resting. Resting is an active process of healing. So if I'm, let's take Facebook. Facebook you can use to learn, to connect with community, to get really good information. But then you're actively seeking something. You're actively trying to enrich your life. If you're just like me, very in the past, not so much these days, numbingly scrolling through just because you are so overwhelmed with your day and you just go like, I just want to everything stop. Just I don't want to feel for a second. Just give me a break. Then you're not healing. You're numbing. Mm. And then you can look through Facebook and go, look at all these doing. Yeah, you essentially absorb things. So energy, <laughs> I like that you said the word it wasn't me. <laughs> um, so what we have to go, like whatever we put our energy towards to, we grow that part. So in the course I talk about that we have an inner world and where our energy grows, that's the type of thing we grow in our inner world. So if you are using Facebook scrolling as your way of coping with life, you have a massive tree of Facebook inside your inner world. Don't know how much good that will do in your life. Mm. But that's what you're growing. So we need to acknowledge everywhere where I put my attention and my energy, that's what I'm harnessing in my life. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like that phrase that we use, whatever you reinforce, you'll get more of. Yeah. yeah. Mm, funny about that. Oh, dog training and, and soul work, hey. <laughs> Goodness me, who would have thought? <laughs> yeah. So mental rest is really important, but it needs to be rest and not numbing. So numbing activities are everything that you do in excess without intention or you do um, – Another way to numb yourself is that you overwork or you over-control certain situations in your life. Mm -hmm. They are forms. Another rest you need is emotional rest that you kind of like go, hey. So, for instance, if you have friends who constantly emotionally unload without having getting feedback or trying to resolve the situation and they just, you know, dump things on you, you need rest from that too. So when you go like, I've already had a really emotionally engaged day, but then I also have – Friends in my life who that's what they talk about without a resolution or this is just a sometimes event, then you need a break from that too, right? So we also need to give our emotional engagement to a degree, a little bit, a break. And that's why Mother Nature is again so great because you don't need to have emotions. You sit with your own emotions, but you're not being bombarded with someone else's emotion. And unfortunately, I see a lot of people, me included, it's so hard to be by yourself without distraction because you actually are forced to feel and then mm. you get a real... Check for how you actually feel. Mm -hmm. The next thing is that you need social rest, that you sometimes you need to find the right people to lift you up, but sometimes you also need a break from other people. Um, so a lot of my friends have been quite confused because I all of a sudden got so more quiet simply because I realized I actually need more quiet time than I thought I would. So that's something. Then you need creative rest. For instance, doing podcasts is a very creative 
work or doing therapy is a very creative work because I constantly tailor things. Dog training is very creative because you constantly tailor it for that dog, right? So you also need a break from that sometimes. Then you need sensory rest. You just need to let go of all the gadgets, the screens, the music, and you just need to learn to bring it all back. That's very difficult. Again, a camping trip does that for you. Mm-hmm. And then you need spiritual rest. That's when you need to go like, I need to have energy left in my life to kind of go like, well, what is my purpose in life? Because at the end of the day, life's just a big video game with lots of levels and tasks to master and move on. Yep. Big cycle. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I think Kana and I need a big NDTF rest this year. Oh, Holy sure shit. you do. I, I'm only watching from the outside and I'm like, you're busy. We've got one more still to do before the year. Really? I thought it was done. No, no. We've got one more. We're crushed right up until Christmas. Like the day that this block finishes, the one that's coming up now, is like it finishes and then on the same day we're setting up for our work Christmas party. Oh. On the same day. Madness. That's crazy. It's madness. Yeah. Poor Kana. She's been, you talk about being a, a good rock. She's been a great rock and that sort of thing. She's a good kid. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Like ideally. Um, did you have any questions to that? No. All makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you can probably, as you said, like you, you can hit all of those in one go, right? Like yeah. um, and that's certainly, I mean, I did that this weekend. Like that's, as you're describing all of that, like I was away with friends this weekend or like a very old group of friends that I have. And it was exactly all those situations yeah. that you're describing there. Come back feeling amazing. Like physically, like, yeah, because we're up all night drinking. We're at the beach all day. Like I wasn't rested, like physically. Like but it's I a change, right? Yeah, I felt amazing. Like my body was tired. I went to bed at 7 o'clock that night and didn't get up till 6.30 the next day. Like that was – I was physically exhausted but felt great. So there's a difference that also is really important to notice. And in my workshops or my presentations, I sh- teach people there's a difference in having rest time and vitality. Yeah. So, for example, for me hanging out with my friends, that because I live in the mountains, I have to drive quite a bit and then it's quite a long day. I'm physically exhausted, but my vitality goes through the roof. Yeah. So, the art in life is to manage these two and to kind of go, like, you know, what do you need? And when you plan these activities that really nurture you, there are certain characteristics to look out for because. I think that from a psychological developmental point of view, the age group between I think 25 to 60-ish is where you have to learn this tango dance between stagnation and being productive. Generat- what is it called? Generativity? Another term for it would be productivity. So you have to learn to rest but to produce and finding that balancing thing. And when you manage this well, you kind of create this virtue that you have enough in your tank that you give back to your community and you teach what you're really good at. Mm. That you kind of, in short, you make the world a better place and you don't always have an immediate payback. You you invest in something. Yeah. It's interesting you, you say as well, like it's all a big video game. And like I think that like real true rest is sort of when you don't have to play the character that you're playing anymore. Like, you know, you play many characters in your life. You know, right now I'm the guy talking about dog training. Well, sort of. <laughs> and, you know, I'm the, I teach dog training and then I play the character of I'm the, I'm the dad. And then, like, I think sometimes really deep rest, certainly what I felt while I was away on the weekend is you're not none of those characters. I mean, you just are. You're just hanging around. Yeah, and, and I think there's a lot of, you know, um, wisdom in that that people very often in Indigenous cultures say, you just go three days away by yourself mm. and you just learn again who you are because you maybe got lost sight of it mm. and you learned to reset that baseline. Yeah. 
It's incredible how addictive playing some of those characters can be, though. Oh, it's you know, like very... I can when I pull the mask off. Sometimes I, uh, it's like Jim Carrey and the mask. I know I've used a lot of movie analogies, but sometimes the mask wants to suck back to your face again. Like you're thinking, oh, I'm nude without this mask. Mm. You know, like who am I without it's scary. this? Well, it kind of is, you know, like there's times where I take it off to reset and I think, fuck, who am I without this persona? I can find it very enjoyable at times though. Like, so, you know, I have a pretty big personality and I was away on the weekend with 10 other guys who have as big or bigger. And so it gives you an opportunity to sort of just be part of the audience, you Mm. know, like when we start cracking jokes late at night, like that's my time to sort of get in there. But there's guys who... Yeah, still in the army in that group. And so there's like a lot going on. There's some big personalities and it's nice to be just a little, like a, a very small piece of it and mm. give up the, like, I'm not the speaker. I'm not here. I'm, I don't feel like I'm the main character in this event. I'm just a, I'm just one of the people. It's so nice when you have different facets to yourself and you have different people. Yeah. That's what's nice about being in a group of peers. Yeah. You know, when you can sort of shoot the shit with people who are um, level pegging or if not, Pegging above, yeah. you know, you can sort of sit there and think, wow, you know, it challenges some of my concepts. And I think that is so important when you have friendships. Like, you know, when I started dipping my toes back in, I was so glad that I had feedback from people who cared about me, but also I really respected their opinion. So I knew it was feedback that I really value and it was in my best interest. Mm-hmm. But that also means you have to have energy to actually have those people in your life. Mm-hmm. So if we look at activities that are really nourishing and I'm, I'm going beyond just physical things because there's a lot of info out there and the rally is an amazing resource. Like you need to nourish your body. You need to look after your body. There's no question about it. But what I'm just offering today is also saying, if you and I agree we have a soul, you're a living being that makes you you and you have an essence that's unique to you, then you also need to look after that part. And that part at the moment in society is not very promoted. Mm. I know that that would be triggering people because it would have been me a while ago would have really gotten pissed off at that idea soul. And and so like it could be even broken down to your consciousness, right? Like yeah. it's, it's just your consciousness. Yeah. Which science doesn't really understand how's that exists. It's your awareness. Yeah. It's, it's, it's who you are. Yeah. I think people find the offense around the word soul because religion has doctrinated it so heavily and, yeah. and bash people around the face with it. I mean, it's not such an offensive word. It's just that it can be used offensive and people thought, oh, no, no, I don't want to hear about this because- Yeah, I mean, know, if you're an atheist and someone starts talking about their soul, you, you tune out. Yeah. You go like- oh, Yeah, but if but- you have to thought that you have to thought that you can observe what your thoughts and that, that's awareness, yeah. right? So I'm not talking much. It is a spiritual topic, but it's not. Like I'm yeah. not- just to keep everyone that's still listening involved. But, okay, to, to relate this back to dogs, you talked about it before, Birdie, when you can see that life in people and when they're there and when they're not they there. they got their spark, like well, it's the spark. Right, you know, and I mean, I've been around enough euthanasia in my time that, you know, to see something that's there and, and present and they're not there and completely yes. gone, I just don't understand how people don't or can't grasp that concept themselves. Like when you see it and it's there and gone in seconds, like gone, just gone, Mm. you know, like you're looking at a shell that you can't grasp the concept of a soul or a consciousness or whatever you want to call it. I know we're getting a little bit deep in the weeds on this sort of thing, but you know, and for some people this might be a little bit triggering and a bit challenging and so forth because it has for me in the past, you know, being around that and being present with it. I mean, I've got a shelf of old friends that are sitting there over there that, you know, like that's my 
that's some of my family that's sitting over there. And I've been with You're every- You're talking about your ashes? Yeah. So I've been with every single one of them. I've sat there in the room with them and had to struggle through that time. And it's tough. But yes. you can see, you can see that flicker out straight away and it's gone. Yes. And, it's, and it's just not there anymore. So for me, there's no offense about thinking about a soul. I mean, I, I do have a religious background. I totally admit that to anybody that, that's known me long enough. But, you know, I'm with it. It doesn't mean that you have to be or anyone listening to this saying, oh, just because he is, it doesn't mean I have to be. No, you there's don't. no pressure. It's just like. There's no pressure at all. You, I'm just talking about what my new venture is. So I may as well be honest what I'm about. So yeah, not yeah. that you book something and you go like, what the fuck, Bertie? But what I want, coming back to the topic, so what is so important to kind of keep track in life is that, A, it's really scary to acknowledge you have a soul because it all of a sudden to me meant like, whoa, I have to look into this. Like it felt like a responsibility. And I could, I'm sw- I swear this was a, t- was a level, like a game level in my life game to acknowledge that we were coming. But then also what do you do with it? So to look after it is basically the main thing is stillness and curiosity. If you have these two things, you're pretty good on track because it's a very complicated topic, but that's the two things where you have a lot of bang for your buck, I guess, these mm-hmm. two abilities. And then when you're resting or you're engaging in your life outside of work, it's really important to go like, hey, the medicine for myself, for my essence and my awareness or my soul is humor, creativity, optimism, courage, willpower, patience acceptance, forgiveness, intuition, compassion, curiosity, humility, faith, and love. So if you really don't know how to rest, some of these things are really good to cultivate and put your energy into. Again, just being outside in nature, maybe even with friends, ticks a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. That's why I think we're so drawn to dogs because they tick a lot of those things as well. Mm. And then the thing is that you have to go like, why do I need humility? Well, it's one of those things. If you only have one tree of curiosity, then you maybe get too cocky and you need to learn again to, to kind of enforce it. Like you need a package of things so that in your life you have different types of trees you can rest under if you put your energy into growing them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Tell us a bit why this is so relevant to us. Like why are you on this show, aside from that you're a friend of ours, like dog Be- training industry or the you know canine sort of industry? Because I love canine professionals and I I have a lot in common with people who are interested in dogs and I'm currently trying to design a course for self-care for canine professionals and so I'm trying to tell you a little bit what my background is where I'm looking at through life because I'm currently teaching people how to use a, a, a workbook how they can track their life to get their power back and reconnect with their vitality and that's a little bit the basics of it mm. but I want to do one specifically for the canine people but I would like to know more what you're struggling with. Mm. I think it's very interesting, like as canine, like as dog trainers and dog training professionals, that sort of thing, probably most people are more educated on sort of behavioral science, what makes people tick and that sort of stuff than the average person. Mm. But they're also sort of more plunged into, they're more susceptible to those burnout and fatigue and that sort of stuff because it's a difficult industry. Like, and, and I think a lot of people work individually. There's a lot of people that would be listening to this that are their own company. Maybe they have, you know, like a little helper or something like that, but they work mostly alone. I think as well that we deal in a lot of compassion fatigue because, you know, 
people just want their problem fixed with the dog and they don't understand the dog is having a problem. And, and as a trainer, the better you get, the more you realize that and you understand like, hey, like I'm emotionally invested in this more than perhaps the owner is and I want a better outcome more than the owner does. And that can be hugely fatiguing. People can Massively. really burn out on that. As well as I think that there's a lot of people who are maybe in dog training because it's been an escape from having to deal with people and now realizing that they don't get to do that, right? You are constantly dealing with people. And the, talking about the character you have to play is that you're the face, like you're doing a handback lesson, you're doing it with someone, you're the expert, right? Like you have to be able to speak as the expert. You have to be able to convince these people that what you're talking about, it doesn't matter. You could be the best on the planet, but if you can't convey that to someone and explain to them how to continue doing what you're doing, then it's pointless, everything you've done to that point. So mm. I think that we're an interesting group of people and that it's especially a lot of these issues that you're talking about fatigue and um, mental health issues we're especially susceptible to but I think maybe we're especially uh, in a position to pull ourselves out of that because we understand a lot of motivators there's so much potential in our industry like yeah. I think I think this is and that's why I'm so intrigued by it people ask me oh you know you you kind of stopped using the in life side, I'm like, I just had to simplify my life. So I'm only operating under Birdie or Shitty Holistic Psychology. But my passion for the dog industry hasn't changed mm. because it's fascinating. And I think what I already know is people really struggle with boundaries. Like they really struggle to respect their own emotional, physical, mental boundaries in training and with other people and they hold it. And I do think that I see myself a lot in people. I very often in my practice had this burden on my shoulders that I'm responsible for the outcome. And I felt like, you know, they're coming to an expert and here I am, so much training and knowledge, hundreds of thousands of dollars of training in me. And now I have to turn it around. And I think what I had to learn is like, I'm just there to give them a nut and mm. another nut and another nut. But I actually, essentially, that's all I can do. I don't have responsibility of the outcome. I can't. How much value do you think there is in people really interrogating why they're in the dog training industry and what brought them to that? So last week, I don't know if you heard the show, Grisha Stewart was on and she said something about, asked, you know, why she got into training with her first dog. And she sort of admitted, or did admit, that something that drew her to it was perhaps the, the feeling of control, that she had control over a dog. And that was in the very early days of first dog training. And that was something that she felt she needed in her life and that fulfilled something, you know, that it was control over another being. And I like, I kind of, at the time when she said, I didn't want to probe her a lot on that, but later I was really thinking about that a lot. I was like, fuck, this is, do I do that? Right. Cause I got some, I got, I got some obedient dogs, right? Like my dogs pretty much do exactly what I say when I say, and I find that reinforcing, but I, I really had to interrogate within myself, like, am I doing this just because I like exerting control over other beings and these dogs are ones that sort of have no choice because they're my captive? It would have upset me if that were the case. And I think I interrogated through myself and realized it's not. But then I was like, why? Why do I have such high level of control over these dogs? Like, why have I bothered to do that? Like beyond what most people would consider reasonable. Now, ultimately it's, you know, with, with Remy, it, it's because I want to compete in those games and I enjoy the idea of competing with him like and that's what I sort of had to 
really go through was so it's mastering a skill yeah and it's communication for me like what i enjoy is conveying my intent it's not that i like controlling him because i don't really right like when i was thinking about it really deeply i was like he's just doing what he wants to do but i we're doing a little dance together and in the and that's why i like psa and you know there's, there's many more reasons why i like psa especially around competition but like when we're doing training for that sort of thing, we're doing things that seem like unnatural for a dog to listen and take direction from me. But I think the reason I like that is not because I'm able to boss him around and look at this, I can boss my dog around and he does what I say or else. It's because there's been this challenge of the puzzle of figuring out how am I going to communicate to this dog in a way that he understands what I want in these high level distractions, that sort of thing. Right. And so I, I don't think it is about control for me. I think it's about, I really enjoy the process of developing that communication with a, with a nonverbal being. Right. And I also, I know you a little bit and I've watched you train and I do think that he's medicine for you on so many days. He makes you laugh. He makes you challenges. You know, oh, he's he, he a can, jester. He, yeah, but he also connects you with so many people. So I do think that dogs, without us being aware, just need a lot of our meet a lot of our needs. Mm. But we need to also be aware of well, what needs should I meet myself, or or why am I running away from certain things? Or like I got Luna at a very difficult time in my life, and I caused her a lot of trouble because I didn't look at myself in the mirror, mm. and I projected that onto her mm. so for example if you're a person that gives too much you all probably will expect that your dog gives too much mm-hmm. like you know like your standards are skewed mm-hmm. so i think it's really important that you go like hey buddy what do we do <laughs> what's healthy what's unhealthy yeah what types of topics do i avoid in my life and what do i want to look at yeah because it will play out with your dog yeah I think there's a lot of value in that. Like I've been thinking about it a lot over the last week. And I think that a lot of, I just personally think, and so I'm more, I'm asking your opinion rather than sort of stating mine is, do you think that's worth a lot of introspection from people to say beyond the obvious that I need to get paid and I'm good enough at it to do it? Why am I a dog trainer? Yes. Like why did I get in? Yes, you do. You need to like, as a therapist, every year we have mandatory training you're always getting asked of, have you been working on your reasons why you're here? Mm. Because it's a very weird job to take. Like being a dog trainer, your psychological makeup is different to a banker. So both of you, a banker has to know why they're doing their job, but you also have to know your job, why you're doing it, because you need to know, you know, those shadow sites in you, the, re- the reasons that made you be a dog trainer. And that can be your strength and that can be the things you shine in, but you also need to know your weaknesses. Yeah. Mm. Something to think about, guys. Oh, just a little, you know, just on the surface podcast. <laughs> what I would love for the community is I don't like Facebook Messenger that much because it's hard to keep track, but if you could email me at hello at birdieoshidi.com, three things that you struggle with in your job and email me them to me, that would be amazing because I will have a look at Please don't expect that I reply to every single email because I don't know how many emails I will get. So please just accept 10, my- 10,000. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you. Thank you so much now. <laughs> what do we What do we think we have about 10,000 active listeners? Is that- we're Oh, more. Active like per episode? Yeah, yeah. It's about 10. Yeah, 10, between, active. between 10 and 12 and a half thousand. Yeah. Okay, please. So that's how many emails you're likely Jesus. to get. Yeah. So, so please, here is my thank you right now. Thank you so much. And the email address is hell at birdieoshidi.com. And if you like what I'm doing, I have two more shows come as a two more webinars coming up on the 15th and 16th of December. 
15th and 16th, and that's an intro to this content, right? Yeah, it's an intro to this content, and what you walk away with is skills, how you can monitor and readjust your energy levels that you put into life and how to get your vitality and your power back. Mm-hmm. Like you, you raise your awareness, essentially. Yeah. Do you want to know something that I really appreciate? Having done this show for as long as we have, it's our third year. Um, yes, birthday. Oh, yeah, it was our birthday just the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Yep. I so, like the uh, meme. <laughs> the meme, yeah. I, I had a lot of laughs putting that together. I, I was sort of looking for the perfect one and I there were some sappy ones and ones of me and Pat and stuff like that. And I thought, no, nah, I'm going to go with a bowl of exploding dildos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, a good, it was so, the correct choice. Yeah. So that was all me, guys. So if you want to blame someone, that was, that was me. One of the things I really have, really have appreciated is some people that I wouldn't expect feedback from some harder, more solitary, more reserved styles and characters of people have sent feedback either collectively or individually to each one of us, expressing what they've got out of the show, having heard some of the topics that we've tackled, the things we've talked about, the people that we've interviewed and and some of their concepts, beliefs and thoughts. And it's really nice to know that it is having a resounding effect on people, that they are going away and they're thinking about it. Because for me, there's been a lot of conversations that we've had on the show, regardless whether it's just Pat and I mulling through something or you've been here or speaking to somebody else and listening to their experiences. You know, like Pat talking about Grisha Stewart before, like when she brought up the her inner child process, you know, that got both of us thinking. That was something that we both went, hmm. And they, they are the things that make you go, hmm. You know, yeah, the you, inner child process is very yeah, powerful. Yeah, and it is. And, you know, and like and even having Tyler on more recently and him tackling some of his mental health issues and oh, so forth. I love that episode. That was really brave of Tyler to do that, to get on the show and talk about things that are currently affecting him or and how he's reshaping his world and how he changed, you know, his landscape and so forth. But overall, I think the one of the things that I'm really enjoying is just hearing how our community is benefiting from it. I mean, that's nice. It makes mm. – it, you know, I kind of feel like we're doing justice and not just talking and, and just having a waffle session on with a couple of microphones, you know, and that, that means a lot. It really does. So I appreciate that you guys have taken time to come back to us and let us know that it is helping and you are getting to think about things or you are getting connected to the right type of people, the people that you need to be plugged in with at the time. So thank you very much. Thank um, you. Yeah. I yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think that stuff like this, like it's a heavy topic just went through and and people listening might be like, oh God, that's a lot for a dog training podcast. But I think like actually training dogs is so easy, <laughs> right? Like actually getting them to do the things and fixing the problems, like it's so fucking easy. It's then fallout that that can create is what I think that we need to be careful of as an industry. And I think that you see a lot of people get really jaded in the industry. Like you really, you know, you, mm. you watch them on online come in and they're all bright eyed and bushy tailed. And then you see them sort of like, you know, once someone starts screenshotting things by their customers and posting it, like, can you fucking believe this? I know that like they're on the downward spiral, yep. right? Like as soon as someone does that and I think, uh, and if I know them, some like if I know them personally, I might reach out and not say like, hey, that's really uncool thing to do, but just be like, hey man, are you all right? Like, because by the time, you know, that's you're looking for some validation that I'm not crazy. That's what you're doing. Like when you, when someone's asking you something that's so frustrating and, and you've answered the same email a hundred times and you screenshot it and you post it online, especially if you post it in a dog training group, I think what people are looking for is like just some 
realignment to be like, I'm not going fucking crazy. Am I like, mm. this is ridiculous thing to ask or have I, am I losing touch? And so usually if I know those people, I might reach out and be like, Hey, you know, like, are you okay? Because this is an odd, this is out of character unless it's within character. Some people do that every day because they're, that's who they are. Right. But when it's out of character, it's like, Hey, and so I think keeping the industry, you know, from burnout and keeping people on a path. And, and it takes, when I say training the dogs is easy, I think it, you know, over time it becomes very easy, but a lot of people are burnt out and out before they get to that point. Right. So they're still at the struggle, still at the figuring it out, still learning. And then they just, you know, their bucket gets full and they're like, nah, fuck this, I'm out. And, and it's the people who've sort of managed to make it through that get to the point where, ah, I love training dogs. The more dogs I can get my hands on, the better. I, I've seen, I, I'm diagnosing this dog as it's walking out of the car because I've seen that same problem 20 times before I can pick it. I'm going to, I know the path, I know the trajectory to helping this dog and these people getting it on the right path and getting to that point requires not burning out in the process and not becoming jaded in the process and, mm. and, and looking at every case, even though I said, Oh, I can diagnose that one quickly, but looking at every case with fresh eyes and exciting eyes, like this is what I'm going to be able to do rather than like paint by numbers. Here it is, here it is, here it is. Right. And so I think people looking after themselves and getting involved in these sorts of programs is cool. I think that it's- I think so because I think a dog trainer is amazing in what they do for other people because a dog has so much value in a person's life. Mm. Like we're sitting in a room here, we have, all of us have dogs we truly love in our heart that have touched our hearts. We, you're doing a podcast about it. We have the ashes of previous dogs here that touched Glenn's heart. So if you, you as a dog trainer, you're bringing immense beauty to life and a value to your life. So this is, I think society goes like, oh, you sometimes doesn't appreciate what a dog trainer really does, but you're raising a family member for a lot of people. Mm. And that family member was picked for a reason. Mm. So, yeah, I like to support that because I think it's phenomenal and big. And I think the last part I want to say on that is even if you do feel like you're managing quite well, I think that a lot of our clients are not. No. <laughs> and so a lot of us are, and this was sort of your earlier seminars that you put on was how to talk to people, right? And how to, how to, you know, be a part-time therapist. Yeah. Because you, you basically have couples counseling in yeah, front of you and, absolutely. and, and, and you kind of see them on their worst day very often. Yeah. Or their worst period in their life. Like, yeah. I mean, I had great mentors who not just taught me how to train a dog, but also people, but I think that's what you sign up for as a dog trainer. Yeah. I still remember really clearly one of my first ever paying clients were rich, right? Like rich and was in their home and I turned up and I was like, wow, like I wish I charged more, right? Because these people can afford it. <laughs> but when I got there, I was like, wow, what amazing lives these people have, right? And the issue was it was a cavoodle that ran out the door every time they opened it, right? Because he just wanted to get to the park. The park was down the street. So like I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm going to get paid to fix this issue. This is going to be so easy. And I walked into a fucking shit show. Like it was a family in tatters. It was a couple that were at each other's throats. And it was, the dog was, you know, like he was a contributing factor, but he was the straw that broke the camel's back because the wife loved the dog and the dog couldn't do any wrong. And the husband, I'm pretty sure would have drowned at first chance he got, right? <laughs> and so 
But the dog was a metaphor for their kids and the relationship that they had. And I, <laughs> I remember it's thinking. funny how you see all this unfolding, oh, isn't mate. it? Oh, mate. And mm. I was standing out, like I'm standing out the front of this house looking at it and I'm like, this is so easy. Can't believe these idiots are going to give me money, right? Like, and I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to fix this dog. Cavoodle runs out the door. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is going to be so easy, right? This is, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. And I left that house like a wreck. <laughs> Emotionally drained. Oh, mate. Mm. I went home. I kept, you know, I kept that money. The money they paid me, I still have the cash. <laughs> like, I was like, I fucking earned that money. I'm mm. telling you. And I was not prepared for that. And like I'd done a lot of in-home training and stuff, but these were some of the earliest, like I had no link to these people. They were pure clients. You know, everything I'd done before that, I was still in the army at this point. Everything I'd done before that was just like, you know, friend of a guy and blah, blah, blah. Right? But I didn't know these people at all. And I was like, holy shit, this is a whole nother kettle of fish. Like, and I'm not, I'm not prepared for this. And my dog training skills was like fixing a caboodle that runs out the door. <laughs> I can fix that. Trust me. But <laughs> dealing with that, I was ill prepared. I had no, and I had it no skills in it. You. Like it, it leaves an aftertaste in your body and in how you feel. Yeah. Well, I was about to say that you don't understand how, and, and some of these people have no shame. Like they bring you immediately into the problem. Well, like, especially really rich people because you're the help and they're used to having fights in front of the cleaner and the neighbor. Like they've yeah. got, they've got permanent help in the home. And so they can perform and do yeah. whatever they want, but they will bring you right into the mix of it and they will mm. throw you into, you know, something that's been going, it could be generational, you know, that something has been going on for a long time and they will bring you straight into it. So you are basically... Well, I can't imagine this because I've never done it, so I'm going to be honest. I feel it would be like parachuting into a war, warscape where you've just landed somewhere and there's a fucking war going on around you and you're thinking, I don't even know where to run. Like, where do I go? Like, how do I – where do I take cover? Do I fire? Do I lay down on the ground and pretend I'm dead? I don't even know what to do. Like, I've literally been in those situations before. I'm thinking, what, what do I say here? Like these people are just exploding around me and going absolutely crazy and thinking, how the fuck do you get out of this situation? So is that the, in the email you sent to me, that's what you would say? <laughs> What's that? Like if I say, okay, how can I help the dog industry? Then you go like, how the fuck do I get out of here with this situation? Well, I think you, you did that. You've got a lot of tools out there on how to – certainly I benefited from that and that was your earlier content. Is that still available for people? No, I'm still doing it. I'm just reshaping it. Right. I'm just – I'm doing more modules independently so people can pick a little bit, but that's a boundary issue where, you know. I've had to like literally put my fingers in my mouth and whistle at the top of my peak to actually get people to stop and and pay attention because it's just been rolling around me. So yeah, it does. It does help when you've got answers on how to do that because nobody coached me for that. No, Nobody prepared me for that. You know, like I was literally just a sole trader going and doing business and and walking into people's houses and thinking, holy shit, does this really happen? Mm. Like this mm. isn't just something that you see on the landscape of, of a television or a movie set. This is real families going at each other and there's no shame about it. Like you're there and they don't fucking care. They're just, they're just going at it. Yeah. Well, with those people, to stick with that, like I think I helped them. I'm no counsellor, but what it was was that the mother of the family was – 
so controlled by the husband that she wasn't willing to have any trickle down to the, the kids and therefore the dog. So they were like rogue agents and she was wearing all of the all of the pressure that would come from him and the control and necessary, like this is how my family has to be. She was taking 100% of the impact of that mm. but not passing any of it on. So the kids were fucking pieces of shit and the dog just had no discipline or rules or anything going on, right? And I think I was able to sort of be like, say to her, like, first of all, it's not fair to yourself what you're doing by wearing all of this impact that is really designed for other people but also you're not benefiting them because you're living this – you're sheltering them to the point where they're not ready to function in the world, right? Mm. And with your kids, you're kind of lucky because they probably, you've got so much money that they'll probably never have to have a job, but they will need friends, right? Like they're, they're going to be financially fine forever, but they're going to be emotional wrecks because they haven't, their friends are not going to, their their friends are not going to protect them from upset feelings like you have from their father. It was really deep shit, right? And then it was like, oh, and also like just fucking open the door with the dog on the leash, reward him a few times, make him sit and then walk out. <laughs> like, mm. like that was the last two minutes of the, the consultation, right? But it's a it's a really heavy thing. So, so, so see, the interesting thing to me then comes talking about self gaze. Okay, so you have one case like that every now and then. But what if you had a week running up to Christmas and you have two or three cases like this a week? Yeah, and then you have maybe four cases a week the week before Christmas. And you do, you, especially these things uh, revolve around. around holidays as well because people are going to have. Family in the home. Oh, welcome to the boarding kennel industry. I was actually yeah. just thinking yeah. about that. I'm like, you're a receptionist? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I stole a term that Pat told me about. He explained a concept of the army called that he calls the meat grinder, and that's what I now phrase the reception centre for the boarding kennels because those girls, uh, they endure such impact. Like it's like a meteor lands in there day after day and they have to deal with that and, and you know, sweep out the fragments every day and then start all over again. Well, and you really don't know. Like, so here's an example. With my first Mally, you know, one day it was just before Christmas and I was going to go away. Someone was invited, someone, I couldn't take the dog. And I was like, oh, I'll just put him in a kennel. And it's like, you know, that's just as a person outside the industry, it just seems like that's something you just do. It yep. doesn't occur to you that kennels are booked like for Christmas, like in, in April. And also when you've got a like really dangerous dog, mm. how hard that's going to be as well. And I ended up having to call the people I got him from, which I wasn't happy about, but saying like, is there any chance you can look after this dog? And they did because I was like, I didn't realize this was the thing, right? Like, oh, and, yeah. and yeah. I bet that's what happens with here when oh, people- Oh, the abuse that they cop like is just unbearable sometimes what those poor girls have to endure. You know, like I've had to have coaching sessions with them where I say to them, you don't have to take that sort of abuse from people. Like you need to explain to them, you can't talk to me like this. You can call me back when you've calmed down and you've thought about your position and I will have a calm conversation with you, but I will not allow you mm. to talk to me like this now. Mm. So I've sat with all the girls in meetings and I said, do not let, like control the conversation. Do not let them speak to you like you're a piece of shit. And that's it, that you have to stand up for yourself. Absolutely. Often. And the other thing is that you also need to have an eye on the compounding effect on things. Like, for instance, when you have three or four clients like you had, Pat, you need a longer break to recover. Mm. Like, I think the one of the challenges that society is facing that we go like, I've done it, I've done it before, so I will always be able to perform at that level. That is not true. You go through cycles of performance. You need breaks. You need to walk away. Sometimes you need more quiet time. Your life is not steady. It's not linear. So, 100%. But 
you need to honor that and you need to go like, how do I feel right now? It doesn't matter how you coped last year. Mm. It's right now that matters how you cope. Hey, here's the two things from me before I wrap it up. I know you asked for three, but I've got two. And no one's still mine. (laughs) I think what's important and people need, or certainly I have needed help with in the past, is maintaining a passion for dog training when it becomes boring. And for me, that's having a personal dog. I think that's one of the reasons why I was talking about before is why I think that like competing in something or or playing a game with a dog at a higher level so that you get to surround yourself by uh, people who are better than you or at least as good, right? So you have a network. That gives you a network of professional friends and mentors because when you're like teaching people's dogs to not run out the front door every day, that becomes, you can get very burnt out in that. So you need to evolve, find ways to evolve. Yeah. And well, I just think be pushing forward. Diversity. Yeah. But maintain your own passion, whatever that Mm. is. For me, that's it. And like, certainly when my, you know, I had this dog and he, he died and, and that was the first time that I had, like I stopped taking clients for a little while because I just didn't want to face the idea of like fixing people. You got these great dogs that you fucked up and I had a great dog that died. And so like, it just was like, I was like, appreciate your goddamn dog. It took me a while to get through that. Right. But you, you knew that you needed time to work through. Yeah. That, right? I just so was had- like, I'm not doing it. I'm taking time off. I'm not like, if someone wants, if you want to train your dog to do something, I'm your guy. But at the time I was like, no, nah, I'm not fixing any problems for anybody. You know, good, bad or otherwise it worked out. And the other one is just having difficult conversations with people. That's that's yeah. a hard skill. I, I, I was actually thinking I should do a whole segment just on how to have conversations, like how to do that without taking it on but without minimizing yourself. Yeah. And, and giving – like I think the real trick in dealing with clients – like I'm lucky now because I don't do those kind of jobs. I've got enough work of people who are sport or, you know, working dog people and they're really interested in the, the pure dog training. I'm, I'm seldom I'm having to – fix anyone's life for them, but is finding the balance between being right and being kind, right? Like I think that's the really difficult part in those difficult conversations is like, yeah, we need to have this conversation. It needs to be poignant. I need to get the point across. I've noticed, especially teaching that people care much less what you say and much more how you make them feel. So you can say all the right things, but if you make them feel bad in saying it, then it's pointless because they don't take any of it in. That's true. But I think you need to know who you are. Like, who do you want to be? Like, I think in, in my webinar, teach about Sankalpa, your intention, mm-hmm. like yeah. what do you stand for as a doctor? And so mm. you didn't want to be the fixer. You want to be, you know, the teacher of a, a skill. Mm-hmm. Some people love chatting with people mm. like, you know, like, um, our beautiful friend Lauren, she's great at that. Mm-hmm. It's her absolute strength. So she, for her, that would be all right. So I think you need to have um, maybe also a bit help to go like, well, what do you stand for as a trainer? What do you want? Mm. I like the philosophy of Bruce Lee. Be like water, my friend. Mm. Don't fight the path. Sometimes I just let the path take me where it needs to take me. I mm-hmm. stopped trying to fight it because the more I fought it, the more unhappier I became. Mm. Mm. I like how deep that goes to summarize everything. Mm. And that's the thing. Sometimes you have to feel really uncomfortable to realize other things. Well, I think if you're an intuitive person, sometimes you need to trust your gut more, you know, and that's one thing that the more that I've ignored that, the more trouble it's caused me where I've, I've, when I've ignored that about people, people that I've led in my life and I've thought, oh, I can feel something's not right here. I need to trust my gut. I need to trust my intuition more on things like that. And I try and encourage other people to do it. Don't fight that feeling so much. It's, intuition is so important. It's Absolutely. a skill that is totally ignored very often. If you can feel that something is wrong for you, then think on that a little bit. Yeah, and learning what feels wrong and what 
you just avoid the different things. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I get the look of let's summarize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to get into explaining to people that you don't have a conscience. You are the conscience. <laughs> now, okay. So before we wrap up, how do you know all this, Pat Stewart? Where, where are you getting this from? What, what stuff? All this part about being part of consciousness and stuff like that. Where, where are you getting this message from? Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was attending my seminar on the weekend. And we just <laughs> what, what I will say, though, is like, you know, I think for me, like many other people, it's why this is an interesting episode. I think with COVID and all that, it's been a, an interesting time of self-reflection. Mm. And I've gotten deep into, you know, stuff that I really wouldn't have been 12 months ago. Wouldn't have you been meditated known about. a lot. We talk a lot about Meditating that. a lot and really understanding it and, and not just sort of traditional like clear your mind sort of meditation. Like I'm really going deep on a lot of stuff and I've had some really good coaching and guidance in that. And and if people are interested, I reckon the first step I've been telling people to do now, I think it's a good starting point. I wish I'd started there is to buy, it's an audio book uh, by Ramdas. We becoming, love Ramdas. Mm, becoming Nobody. Yes, it, highly recommend that it's, if you don't know what life's about, it's a good starting point. Yeah. And what's interesting is, you know, Tyler was, when he was on the other day, he was talking about his uncle that was a hippie in the seventies and traveling through India. He was doing that with Ramdas. So wow. Yeah. Isn't so, that amazing? Yeah. Mm. So anyway, amazing. All right. I'm going to wrap it up. Bertie, yeah. give us that email address again and tell us exactly what you want people to send to you. Lovely folks. If you want to help me. Please send me an email to hello at birdieoshitty.com with three things you would like me to focus on and help you with. And please accept my gratitude and my love right now because the chances of me replying to that email is very low because I have a feeling I get lots of emails. But it will be read. It will be read. Thank you so much. All right. That's it for another episode of The Canine Parrot. I'm Birdie. Thank you so much for coming down. I know it's a bit of a trek and it's a heavy topic, but I think it's worthwhile. And and definitely, honestly, we're friends and I love you and that, but the content that you provide to the industry is fucking necessary. Like it is super necessary. And, and it's a, I, think, I feel like for a lot of people in the dog training industry, especially our listeners, I feel like you're a person who has plugged a gap that a lot of people didn't know was there, or maybe they knew that there was a wide open chasm there and thought that it was unpluggable. And I think that you're a unique blend of real actual being a clinical psychologist and understanding the dog training, having done dog training courses and been involved in that world. I think that it's an amazing fusion that we're all lucky to have Mm. you. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having me and thank you for giving me your time. That's it. Welcome. So the Canon Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Be specific. Tell mm-hmm. us what it is about Rumdas that you like. <laughs> uh, if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. A couple bucks a month gets you extra episodes in there constantly trickling stuff in. There'll yeah. be a new episode. I've got to do that today, actually, because we're recording on the first. So They've got a couple of things ready to go in today. Or tell a friend about Patreon. If you want to help us, being that it is our third birthday, if you want to give us a birthday tip, Patreon. Yeah. It helps us and it helps you. That would be a massive help. If you do want to support the show and you are already a patron. Tell someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Bring a friend friend in. Tell three. Tell three. Tell three. Tell three. three. Uh, It's a third birthday. Yeah. 
Another way to support the show is Teespring. You can get themselves some cool merch. A tapestry, if you maybe. wall tapestry. That, a fanny pack that Bertie got. Believe it or not, is available. Yeah, I have a fanny pack. No, I never thought I would say that. But yep. here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to get some dog training advice or something, just post it in the group. Group source some information in there. Hey, something on the group, I'll, I'll just say for anybody that still listens to the wrap-up of the show, is posting in the group. A long time ago, we put on the post approval because – Someone shared a newspaper article, rightly, you know, because it was an interesting topic, but it was about a specific person. And as seems to be the case, journalists didn't actually do any journalisting, and the person turned out to not have done what they said, and she got pretty badly fucking commented on, like 176 comments. And it happened in our group, and it made us feel horrible because we, first of all, didn't notice that it was happening, as well as you know, it was false and she really so got it's defamatory. Yeah. And, mm. and nobody was wrong because if you, if you read the article and thought if that really did happen, then it's a the, shit thing. the horrible things people were saying about her were probably fair, but it's not what happened. Mm. So that's when we put the post approvals on because the idea was that we didn't want to have, you know, people being spoken about in a negative manner. Right. So like ideas is one thing, but people is another um, so and, and people were spamming our yeah. So please avoid that. Then the yeah. next thing I want to say is like blind posts from business pages. We're not approving. Yeah, because it's just it it's just spam. Especially if people are posting that in across multiple groups, just sharing the same thing into multiple groups. It just blows up your feed, and we're just part of the bullshit that is now your Facebook feed. So like if you see something from a business page, or it is your business page and it's relevant, and you want to share it because it's you know whatever reason. Just write something about that, why it's relevant. Anything that's just shared blind, we, we're not we're not approving because it just is, it's spam. Mm. So that's kind of it. And just please be kind in the group. That's a big part of it for us. Is yeah. That it's it's fair. a community. Yeah, we can discuss ideas, but let's not sort of go too deep into people. And if you want to make fun of someone, do make fun of my clothes. That, that seems to be what everybody does in there. <laughs> and if you want to get in contact with us, you could shoot me and Glenn an email. We are info at the canineparadigm.com. That's it. Goodbye. Thank you. Oh, God, I did it again. Get your button pushing sorted, mate.